Well, I'm excited about this series as well. We're starting into a new series, and it's on the covenant. The covenant. And I believe there's going to be some things that you're going to learn and you're going to see. And we're not talking about, so in this series, we are talking about the blood covenant today and probably next week because there's no way I can cover the whole thing. But we'll be talking about the blood covenant, the salt covenant, the sandal covenant, and the marriage covenant. And we'll start looking at how the old covenant and the new covenant come together. What's the, what's the meaning behind this? There are, there are meanings and there are idioms, if you will. Uh, idioms are uh, like when your kid comes home and says, that's no cap. All right? And you go, what are you talking about? There are cultural languages and there's cultural things that take place and people say things in a culture that if you're not in that culture, you may not understand. One of the things that we have problems with, if we're not careful, is when foreigners come to our land and we say things in our good redneckness, okay? Redneckiness, however you want to say that, right? Or maybe you come from the north, which I won't say any names, but like Karen them. And you have to learn all of these hillbilly idioms, Right? Like, what are you talking about? I told Kara, I said, I'm going to teach you how to say a full sentence in one word. And she said, what? I said, jeet. Now, some of y'all heard that. Did you eat? Right? And then the response is one word. Maybe two. Jew? Jeet? Jew? Did you eat? No, did you? So that lets us know it's time for lunch. Right? So there are these idioms that we use that culturally may not be understood unless we understand the culture, okay? So that's what we're going to cover in some of this, uh, the, blood, the blood covenant, and we're going to talk about some of these cultural understandings, what the Hebrews understand, what the Jews understand, the Israelites, when they said certain things in this, all right? And you're going to see an amazing thing be unfolded. So we're going to go to, if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis uh, we're going to go to chapter 15. I'll give you just a second to get there. It's going to be on the screen as well. <clears throat> but we see Abram at this time. And Abram is a kind of a unique individual. Now let me say this. When I talk about the covenant, understand there are other covenants that were going on at the time. So we have an Edemic covenant, which was at the Garden of Eden. We have the uh, Edemic covenant, which is what he gave to Adam. All right, uh, we have the Noahic covenant, which is what he spoke to Noah. And now we're coming down to the Abram, the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant. Well, that's hard to say, all right? So we have these different covenants, but we're, the reason we're starting here is that this is when God uh, begins to start uh, showing us the type and shadow of the relationship that he wants to have with you and I, okay? So don't, don't be confused and don't think, well, this is the only covenant. No, there are other covenants in there. There's actually seven covenants that the Bible lists. Uh, we're not going to go through all of those because all of the covenants go back to the blood, the salt, um, the sandal, and the marriage covenant. Okay? So let's go to Genesis and let's start here in verse, or excuse me, chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1 because this is important. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now, here's God, and he's talking to Abram, all right? How many of you have ever said, or maybe you have people in your life that say, well, God don't ever talk to me. Maybe you're not listening. The Bible actually tells us that, the, that God is always speaking, but only a few people listen. 
Abram was listening. So watch this. But Abram replied, Oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Now that sounds strange that a man would speak to God like that. It almost sounds like he's complaining, but he's not. He is negotiating with God. God, what, are good, are all your, what good are all your blessings to me? I don't, I don't have anybody to pass this stuff down to. And he goes on. Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, my servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. How many's ever had God tell them no? Man, God's never told y'all no? Amen. Can I tell you this? Sometimes when God tells you no, it's for your own benefit. Watch this. Then the Lord said to him, no. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a, you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So in prayer, Abram is asking God, what about this son? I don't have any descendants. God stops him and says, no, Abram, I'm going to change the way you think. I'm going to change your mind. It's going to change your brain. It's going to change your life. Top and shadow. Mind renewal right here. Old Testament. Old covenant. When the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. God goes above and beyond what we can ask or think. Amen? Abram's asking for a son. God says, you're going to have many sons. Y'all remember that song, don't you? Father Abraham. Amen. See, some of y'all. Some of y'all grew up in church. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Then Abram believed, or excuse me, then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Now here's a man that's having a conversation with God. And he's asking the question, how could I possibly know that what you're telling me is right and true? Now he's not questioning God. He's saying, how do I know this? The next verse tells us, The Lord told him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Now listen. We have to read between the lines what's going on here. Abram asked a question, God, how can I know that this is true? And God answered him, In Abram's language and understanding, Abram, this is what this is saying, bring me a heifer, goat. Abram, you and I, we're going to cut covenant. Go get me a heifer. Abram said, yes, sir. Why? Because Abram understood covenant. He understood what it meant from a Hebrew perspective. To be in covenant with someone. This was not anything new to him. He understood this language. We have forgotten what covenant's all about. We've heard about covenant, but we're going to take the lid off of it. Amen? <laughs> so he did. He went and he did all of this. We go down to verse 12. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, 
where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. God knows the beginning from the end, right? So in this process, he... He puts Adam in a deep sleep, if you will. This is kind of like when you go to the doctor and they have to do surgery, they put you under. Abram was under, <laughs> all right? He was having uh, a great REM sleep with no drugs. <laughs> and he has this vision. In other words, uh, the Lord is revealing to Abram what's fixing to happen. After the sun went down, a darkness fell. Abram saw a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute. There's a lot of information that I have to um, foundationally set so you begin to understand where we're coming from, from the covenant understanding, okay? I'll just let you in on this. There's 10 steps to the blood covenant. We're only going to cover three if time allows us to today, okay? So in this covenant, we see the halves that were split open and... He puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And we understand the scripture says that God put Abraham in a deep sleep because God could swear by no one higher than himself. Okay? We're going to talk about this in just a minute, but stay with me. So in this, we see Abram is sleeping. He's dreaming, if you will, but God's revealing these things to what's going on. And in this covenant picture, he sees this smoking pot and this flaming fire. Okay? What's interesting is that there was a pillar of smoke or a cloud by day and fire by night that led the children of Israel through the desert that stayed with them. Studying this through and studying this out from the Hebrew perspective, most of them, when I say most of them, I'm talking about uh, Messianic Jews that believe in the Messiah, that believe that Christ has come, understand this to mean that this smoking pot is Jesus that he is actually in, the, in this covenant and God comes down because, here's the deal, why would God cut covenant with Abraham and put him to sleep? God knew this. In the covenant understanding, if you did not fulfill your obligations in the covenant, your blood could be spilled. This was a till death do us part covenant. And he knew Abraham could not be a perfect covenant keeper. Guess who can be? Yeah. Our Redeemer. He is the perfect covenant keeper. You may see me cry a little bit. I'm telling you. When we begin to understand covenant. Whoo, what Dave was talking about today. I'm over there about to jump out my chair. Because, <laughs> yes, prosperity is there. We're going to see it in just a minute. But he goes through and he says all this stuff. And, and we see this smoking pot and this flaming fire. And it says, and so the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the borders of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land that's now occupied by the Kenzanites, the or the Kenites, the Kenzanites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perzites, the Raphaelites, the Amorites, the Canites, the Gergesites, the Jebusites, the Termites, all of them, right? Everybody that's there, I've given this to you. But God, the land's not mine. No, it's yours. 
I'm making covenant with you today, Abram. If we look real quick, I don't want to, we're going to touch on this a little bit more. Verse, or excuse me, chapter 17. When Abram was 90, when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Which El Shaddai means the multi-breasted one. The one who has everything you could ever need. Okay? You've lived a blameless life and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. Abram fell face down on the ground. And the Lord said, this is my covenant. And he goes on and he talks about it. And he gives him a different name in verse 4. Oh, excuse me, verse 5. What more? I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham. For you will be the father of many nations. We're not going to talk about it today, but in the blood covenant, one of the steps is the exchanging of names. Abram becomes Abraham. If you understand the Hebrew, the word for God, his name was Yahweh. They did not use vowels in standard Hebrew. In modern Hebrew or biblical Hebrew, we now use um, dots and lines to show us where the vowels are so we can pronounce the words easier. Yahweh had no vowels. What did he add to Abraham's name? An H, which is the of God, the breath of God. He went from being Abram to Abraham. God's breath. He changed Sarah's name from Sarah to Sarah. The breath of God. The living God, the Spirit of God now is on you. Soon it will be in you. But it was on them. So now we understand kind of a little bit about covenant. Man, I'm telling you, I know y'all are soaking this in, and you're, but it's okay to say, yeah! <laughs> okay? You should be excited about this. What is a covenant? In the Hebrew, it is barith. And it means to bind or to cut. Now, this binding is not what you and I think. It's not like you would bind somebody's hands or, or bind some, it's It's closer than that. Okay? It's a, it's a connectedness. Can I say it this way? Let me back up one step. The Old Covenant, the Torah, all right? The Tanuk, the Pentuk, however you want to say it, the first five books of the Bible. I'm going to relate to you and give you this information that if you understand the first five books, it is the marriage covenant. The, five, five, the first five books. It explains how God wants to deal with man. Now listen, it's a type and shadow. It's, it's God giving us a picture of what's to come. That's why we have a better covenant. Okay? We're going to talk about that a little bit more too. So we see this. What is a covenant? A covenant is a mutual, all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly defined parameters and promises. 
It is a mutual understanding between two parties who bind themselves together with specific obligations to fulfill. Both parties understand their obligations and requirements. A covenant is a life commitment. Where else do we see a covenant that resembles that? Marriage. It's supposed to. However, we have forgotten, and you're going to see some of the parallels. Can I tell you this? Your God, my God, is a symbolic God. He loves symbolism. He loves to show things in pictures so that you can get it. And he's going he's to create such a picture of what's going on. There are four types of covenants, and in order, this is how we come into the kingdom of God. Number one is the service covenant, which is what we're talking about today, the blood covenant. The next is friendship, the next is inheritance, and the last is marriage. They're progressive in nature. Some of us have come on into this uh, Christianity thing, if you will, under the blood covenant, and we think that's all there is to it. And God said, man, that's just the first step. It's the betrothal, if you will. <laughs> it's the courtship. It's the engagement. We're going to talk about, when we get over to the marriage covenant, we're going to go back to this covenant, and we're going to start looking at the things God has done. For instance, let me tell you this, just to give you a little hook to bring you back. So it says that when they cut covenant, they would lay these animals in a row, and the blood would go into a small valley, and it would kind of mingle itself, right? And the two parties that were cutting covenant, they would hack up their tunic, okay? And they would walk in an infinite pattern, a figure eight in this blood. Symbolism, infinite. This, this covenant doesn't die out until death do us part. Some of the older people, when you stood at the front of the altar, and the pastor or whoever said, I promise to do all these things until death do us part. You're cutting covenant. Now watch this. So the guy would, they would cut the halves of their animals and they would lay them down. They'd walk in between them. Is it perhaps symbolic that in traditional weddings, the groom's family sits on one side and the bride's family sits on another? And the two walk down the middle aisle to cut covenant. We're going to go deeper than that. We talk about the New Testament. Let me say this. In the Greek, dathiki means contract. It's an advisory will or it's a covenant. But it doesn't have the same grip that covenant does. When you hear testament now, if I was to say to you, have you read the last will and testament of Jesus Christ? You would probably say, oh yeah, the New, the New Testament. I know what you're talking about. But in the Greek understanding, remember... In languages, sometimes it's hard to translate exactly what I'm trying to say because we don't have words for it. So in the Hebrew understanding, we say covenant. In the Greek understanding, they would say testament, all right, or testimony, if you will. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong in calling it that. I'm saying we have to be careful that when we read this, we don't read it like a testament. Is there the will of God in there? Yes, most definitely. You could even go so far as to say it was his last will in the sense of his last will while he's on earth. He laid down, here's how I want you boys to do things and girls, all right? But it's so much more because we have a type and shadow of the old covenant. Let me say this. 
most of you knew or understood or thought that, how many, just, how many knows that the New Testament was written in Greek? You know, we say this, it's Greek to me, man. So in studying some of this out, I was reading an author who's talking about Hebrew understanding of the New Testament. And he said this, yes, there were scrolls or books that we have found that were written in Greek. Actually, the Old Covenant was written in Greek, but we know that its original manuscript was in Hebrew. Did you know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, and Hebrew were all written in Hebrew initially and then transcribed to Greek? Not only that, but who wrote the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, Timothy, Jude, James, right? These were all Hebrew children. They were not Greek citizens. And they wrote from a Hebrew perspective. But they were writing to a Greek people and trying to help them understand this gospel. And so they're trying, how do I figure this out? So Paul uses the word testament or testimony in his writings when he actually means covenant. But he's trying to explain to the Greek people what's going on. Paul wrote from a Hebrew understanding. He was trained in the Torah. <coughs> when you see Old Testament disciples in them referring to Scripture, they're referring to the Torah. It's in there. It's in there. Jesus is in the Old Testament as a type and shadow. The closest understanding of covenant that we have in the Western world is the marriage covenant, which has been diluted with our limited exposure and understanding of the original covenant meaning. There are two types of covenant primarily in the Scriptures. I want to be careful with that because there's, there's a few more, but with what we're looking at. There is a parody and there is a suzerain covenant. A parody would be me and Neil cutting covenant. We're equals, all right? You say, well, he has more money or better looks, which we know that's not true. But, but he and I are men and we're equals and we're cutting covenant, so it would be a parody covenant. The other one is a suzerain covenant. That is from a higher or superior to a lower, i.e., a king. A king who wants to cut covenant with one of his subjects. You have a king that wants to cut covenant with you. Who thinks they're getting a better deal? When we understand covenant, you're gonna, every hand will say, oh, did we not get a better deal? <clears throat> the marriage covenant, like I said, would be a parody covenant. God made covenant with men. When we begin to understand covenant, Scripture becomes more clear to us. Proverbs 18.24 says this. It says that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now we say that that is just our buddy Jesus. But that's not what it's referring to. Remember, Proverbs was a Hebrew book. What's it speaking of? This is not mere friendship. This is not me pulling out my Facebook and saying, I've got 955 friends. You don't even see half of these people because I see you posting about if you'll click here and copy and paste and put in here, all these people come back. So they're not really your friends, right? This is talking about a covenant. 
There is a friend, someone who you have cut covenant with, who is more close than a brother. Have you ever heard the saying, blood's thicker than water? We understand that to mean that blood relations are more important than friendships. But the Hebrew understood the true meaning of this saying. What they were saying is, the one you cut covenant with, blood, is better than the one you've shared the womb with, water. Blood is thicker than water. Covenant supersedes even family relations. Some of you said hallelujah. <laughs> the covenant is serious business. And it was very important at that time. These people understood what was being said. My relationship with whom I'm joined in covenant is to be considered more valuable than the relationship with my brother in whom I have shared the womb. So we're going to start talking about this blood covenant we're entering, okay? Remember I said God's very symbolic. He loves symbolism. Can I tell you this? That God is so good, he can speak symbolically and literally at the same time. Jesus did it all the time. As a matter of fact, he gave an example. He said, lest you eat my body and drink my blood, you can't be my disciples. And they said, weirdo, freakazoid. And they took off. And he was being literal and figurative at the same time. Literally? You mean like he wanted us to bite into his flesh? No. But he was giving us a type and shadow, a foreseeing of what was to come. And if we did not receive him into his, take him in, and he take us in, we couldn't be his disciples. We're going to talk about that later. That's going to be next week. So we're going to start... And we're going in to this blood covenant. Now understand this, the blood covenant, this is the first stop in this progressive nature of covenants. Man, is it wrong for me to have to be like cringe a little bit when I say the word progressive because it has been so misused, right? Especially when we're talking about Christian ideas, Christian understandings. Understanding the steps in covenant making will cause many verses to come alive in our hearts with meanings we've never really understood. It's our foundation, this covenant. So we're going to contrast the old and the new covenants together. All right, The old covenant, like we said, is a type and shadow. A shadow can give us an idea. If I was to, um, you know, like when we were kids, we would put our hands on the wall, you know, and we would make these like funny little, you know, hand deals and stuff. And if you put your shadow on the wall and you do like this and it looks like a dog, right? So you can get some understanding of what it looks like. I remember as a kid, I used to you know, do this one, right? Look like an ostrich. You know, you're like, what? But if, if I take my hand from behind the curtain and I show you, well, you can go, oh, okay, I see. It does kind of look like, but I can see there's, there's hair on your fingers, and the, your fingers are wrinkly, and hey, you got to cut it, you see much more. A top and shadow, if you will, is 2D. The real thing is 3D, so we get a much better picture. So this Old Testament covenant is a top and shadow. It's a 2D uh, illustration of what the 3D thing is going to look like, amen? So it gives us a very rich picture. Number one, the first thing in this covenant was the exchanging of robes. When, God, when two men would cut covenant, <clears throat> they would take off their robes and they would exchange them with one another. Now listen to me carefully. 
when they did, a, when they did that, what happened was there was a confusion of identity. Confusion being a good word here, okay? How many remember the old West shows, right? John Wayne and even some modern day. Um, I'm trying to think of the, some of y'all going to tell me, the John Wayne movie where he was a, um, a Union soldier and the Confederate guys robbed the train with all the ropes and stuff. Help me. Rio Lobo? Okay, we're going to call it Rio Lobo. There's a couple of scenes in there when they capture John Wayne, the guy makes him take his coat off and put his coat on. Because they're going through enemy territory, they're like, if they're going to shoot anybody, they're going to shoot you, Jack. Because what did we call the north and the south? We called them the blue and the gray. If you, you know, we talk about Crips and the Bloods, right? We had them back in the day. It was the blue and the gray. <laughs> What happens is these men would exchange robes, and a robe was not a robe like you and I would think, like bathrobe, okay? It was also like a military dress. If you have been in the military, you know that when, uh, especially when you dress up, like when, when I was in the Marine Corps, I put on my dress blues, right? I think the Army calls them, was it Class A's? Is that right? You put on your Class A's, right? The Navy's not important, so. But um, I'm just kidding. Shane's like, I'm going to get you after you. But they all have their distinct uniform. And you can tell what branch they're in by the uniform that they wear. Not only can you tell what branch they're in, you can tell what their rank structure is if they have stripes on their sleeve or something on their collar. That's what I hated about the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps, a private, was what we call a slick sleeve. He had nothing. So in the, Marine, in, the, in the military, when you come up behind an officer, you don't just walk past them. You show them respect and you say, by your leave, sir. That's to let them know, one, that someone's behind them, and two, you're fixing to pass them. And as you, would, as you would do that, you would give them a sharp salute, and you would continue on. I'm at the deck in San Diego, California, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm walking across the deck, and I see this guy, and I kind of look. He's a slick sleeve. I said, by your leave, sir. And he goes, huh? And I was like, Brian! <laughs> it was a kid in my class that I had lost contact with who had joined the Marine Corps, but he was a slick sleeve. I'm like, what are you doing, man? So he gave us an understanding of what their position was, what their power is, okay? It might have looked something like this. God, you mean you and I are going to exchange robes? And he said, yeah, son. But God, mine's a little tattered and torn. And part of the sleeve's missing. <laughs> I've got stains all over it. He says, I know, son. I know. Jesus said, I'll exchange it with you. And so Jesus takes off his robe and puts it on me and you. And we take off our robe and we put it on him. And our identities got confused because the enemy said, who's who? I appreciate that. <laughs> who is who? You have forgotten who you have cut covenant with. This exchange cost Jesus greatly. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the first part of the verse says this. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. He took on our suit coat and he said, I'll pay the price. 
I'll pay the price. And he said, better yet, if you put my coat on, you won't have to pay the price. It's covenant. He got my identity. I got his. Jesus wrapped himself in my robe of flesh, in my sinfulness, in my identity. And we exchanged identities when we exchanged robes. In that same verse, 521, at the end of it says this. This is what happened when you put his robe on. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now understand, God's not confused when he looks down and sees a coat on me and my coat on Jesus. He's not confused, but he says, oh, you got his coat on? Okay, you're right with me. Because Jesus is a, is a perfect covenant keeper. Quiet in this house. Jesus wasn't concerned with upward mobility in society. He wasn't climbing the corporate chain. As a matter of fact, he was interested in downward so that he could identify with us. This is what it's talking about when it says he took on no reputation, no kingly. He stripped himself of all that. What do you mean stripped himself? He put on mine in your robe. He wasn't stripped. He, he put them on. He said, I'll bear this. Number two, the second step, is the exchanging of belts. There again, this is not a belt like we would wear around our pants, okay? This was a rather wide belt. For uh, illustration purposes, it would be like if you've ever seen a police officer and they have what they call a duty belt, okay? In the military, we call it deuce gear or used to, all right? which was a big belt, had some suspenders on it to help support different things, and it had all these patches and things, all right? I wish I had, um, I had lunch with a, <coughs> excuse me, a deputy the other day, Crawford County deputy, and I was, of course, I'm studying all this, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm primed to seeing things. There wasn't a spot on his, his uh, uniform, chest-wise, in his duty belt that did not have something on it. He had a knife, he had a stun gun, a gun, he had extra magazines, he had handcuffs, he had a flashlight, he had another knife. I mean, it was full. This exchanging of belts was the exchanging of strengths and assets, okay? What is your strength you bring and what's my strength I'm going to bring. So you exchange these belts, identifying with the one you're cutting covenant with that we're exchanging our strengths. This belt would be where your military gear would hang, okay? Whether that be a sword, whatever it might be. So you're walking around with the belt of Christ. It ought to make you, it ought to make you stick your chest out a little bit, right? Right? This is what it means. In the Hebrew understanding, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. You remember what Dave was talking about? Prosperity's in there. You think God's prosperous? He just said, when you exchanged belts with me, son, you got what was mine. I got what was yours. And you got a bad deal, God. <laughs> he said, I know what I'm getting into. I'm cutting, I'm cutting a covenant with you. We see God in the new covenant, if you will, 
speaking to Paul. I'm going to answer, hopefully, an age-old question. But we see Paul, and in Second Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, it says this. Even though I have received such wonderful revelation from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What was this thorn in Paul's flesh? Aha. We have to go back to the Hebrew to understand what's being said in the Greek. Remember we talked about their idioms, cultural language that's used that we don't understand. Who wrote this book? Paul. Where is he coming from? A Hebrew understanding. If I told you, guys, whoo, the hour is getting near. I am so hungry I could eat an elephant. Would you know what I'm talking about? If we had someone here from maybe, I don't know, Africa, and I was to say that, what do you think they would think in their mind? He's going to kill an elephant and eat it. He might take me literal, even though you guys are going, no, 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 that's not what he means. <coughs> he just means that he's so hungry that his belly is so less that he needs a large amount of food to fill it up. We know that's not true. Here's a Hebrew idiom that says, he has given me this messenger, this thorn in my flesh. Thorn in the flesh is mentioned three other times in the Old Covenant it is found in Joshua and in Judges and in Numbers. In Numbers 33, 55, it talks about this thorn in the flesh in each three of these references. <coughs> Excuse me. I ate a lifesaver a while ago before I came up here. And I think they need to change their name because that thing has been hanging around right here, man. <coughs> I guess that wasn't the whole part that I got right there. Woo! But it says that this, this thing was, and this is what, from the Hebrew perspective, they understood. What all of these cases in the Old Testament was referring to was a reference to the ungodly or the out-of-covenant people trying to stop the work of God. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Ungodly people trying to stop the work of God. You think you got problems? <laughs> Paul got whippings. <laughs> Paul got stoned. Paul tried to be drowned. The boy suffered some persecution. And he said, God, can you not help a boy out here? And God says to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Notice what he's saying. The first part of that verse is Paul saying, man, in order to keep me humble, God let this thing down. He wasn't talking about just keep a stiff upper lip, Paul. You just keep pressing on. He was reminding Paul, Paul, you of all people all understand my grace. My grace is sufficient. When he spoke that to Paul, he spoke it to Paul out of a covenant relationship because Paul understood covenant. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. What did Paul understand? That we in a Western understanding, we see grace as God's unmerited favor. And that's true, but that's the half-truth. 
Grace is God's unmerited favor. But the second part of grace is this. It's God's willingness to listen to this, to unleash his power on your behalf, even though you don't deserve it. Imagine, if you will, that grace was a pit bull and somebody came against you and you go, man, I've got nothing. God goes, I do. Puts his hand on that leash and you say, grace, Rah! here she comes. <laughs> and she goes, blah, 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 blah. she grabs a hold of something and won't let go. That's grace. God giving you his unmerited favor, but he's also releasing the power to do it. Paul, my power is sufficient. As a matter of fact, it works best when you're weak. When you realize you can't do this on your own and you have to rely on me to partner with you in a covenant relationship, that's when it works the best. David operated in this. Remember what David said when he came out and saw Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What was he saying? Who is this guy that is out of covenant with the, arm, with the Lord God of Israel? Who is he? <coughs> David said, I fought bears. I fought lions. I even took a hold of a lion's mane and punched him in the mouth, let go of a sheep. Why? Because he understood covenant. And when he went out to Goliath, he didn't see Goliath being big. What did he see him as? Out of covenant. Who is this guy? David knew covenant. Can I propose to you that David knew all about covenant because his family grew up in it. There was a, there was, I hate to say it this way, a tradition that was passed down to him. He was being trained up in the way he should go. And when he was old, he wouldn't depart from it. He said, you come to me with a spear and a sword. In other words, you come to me in your own strength. You dog. I come to you in the name of the Lord. I come to you as a man who stands in covenant with the Most High God. What are you to me? It sounds braggadocious and a little egotistical. And maybe it was. Now, remember, type and shadow, David is fighting a physical giant. Today, we don't fight physical giants. We fight spiritual giants. And the rocks that we hurl are not physical, but spiritual. And the head that we cut off is not a physical, but a spiritual. But none the same, we make it happen through covenant. Whose belt are you wearing? Whose robe are you wearing? If you look down, it looks like your robe, take it off. If it's a little old dinky belt, take it off. Last one we're going to talk about is the exchange of weapons. Now, some of you just sit up and was like, are we talking Glock 19? Are we talking AR-15? What are we talking about here? All of the above. All right? We're talking about air support, naval gunfire, the whole nine yards. So they exchanged robes. They exchanged belts. The reason they had a belt first is because God's a God of order. You need to have a belt on so you can put your weapons into something, Right? So we exchange these weapons. The weapon is a symbolization of the exchanging of enemies and a declaration that each party would defend the other with their life. You say, well, who's God's enemy? His name is Satan. 
Well, who's my enemy? His name is death. Death was our enemy that God conquered. That's why when we read the scriptures, it says, Oh, death, where is your sting? It's been defeated. Well, hadn't Satan been defeated? Yes, he is a defeated foe. But he is operating in this world system, if you will. And God has said, hey, we exchanged enemies. Now I want you to take him on. And we're supposed to look like David's. Not like the children of Israel. Who is this guy? He comes out every day at the same time. I venture to say, they had cut covenant too, but they didn't realize what they had done. Can I say this? Now that you know the Hebrew understanding, when you hear scriptures that talk about uh, taking the communion, it says, don't take it unworthily. What's he talking about? Understand the covenant that you've entered into and don't you drink this just because everybody else is. Don't you take that bread because everybody else is. Me and you, we're talking. Are we in covenant? They exchange weapons. With this, it looks like Ephesians 6, 10 and 12, where we put on the whole armor of God. Remember, we exchanged belts, and now we're exchanging weapons. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. You have covenant. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And he goes on, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We're not against the abortion people. We're against the spirit behind it. And we have the power to crush it. Insert whatever you want right there. If it goes against God's standards, we have the ability through covenant to see that it's put down. That's why we have to be careful when we say things that sound, are you instigating that we should go out and no, I'm instigating you should go in. <laughs> you go in to the Holy of Holies and you let your request be made known. And then you go out and you do something about it. You speak the Word of God with boldness. Because I have a covenant with this God. We exchange weapons, we exchange enemies. Our struggle isn't with flesh and blood, it's not with your spouse. It's not with your spouse. Thank you. I heard mainly men right there. You don't know my husband. It's not about your kids. It's not even about your boss. It's not about the people who irritate you. It's against rulers, powers and forces of this dark age. It's spiritual. Spiritual wickedness in spiritual realms. So God said, hey, we're in covenant. I'm going to give you what you need. Now remember, as long as you're attacking, I'm with you. When you retreat, you've got some exposure there, brother. Because all of our armor is forward-facing. When you turn and run from the enemy, ooh. Doesn't mean you're necessarily dead, but maybe you're taken out of the 
fight for a while. And we can probably all name somebody that we know that's been taken out of the fight. And we even say it like this, well, church hurt. Wasn't a church hurt. Even if a pastor said something to you that was bad, it wasn't even church hurt. It was a devil. Peter, Jesus cried. Y'all remember that where Jesus cried because Peter said something bad about him? He said, God, do you hear what Peter said about me? I ain't going back to that church. Y'all are like, where is that at? <laughs> he said, far be it from you, Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Even Peter was used by the enemy. I think if we're all honest, we'd be like, yeah, the devil's used me a time or two. Thank God we have covenant. God, I blew that. He said, I know, son. See this robe that I'm wearing? Looks like yours. That's why you got this terror in it, man. Got to fix that. The exchanging of robes, the exchanging of belts, the exchanging of weapons. Come on, Alex. The first three steps in covenant. We have seven more to go just in the blood covenant. God was a very symbolic God. I say was, is. He wants us to understand what we're getting ourselves into. That's why it's called a covenant and not a testament. All right? There again, hear me out. I'm not saying that the Greek writers are wrong. <clears throat> I'm saying covenant gives a more better understanding of what we're talking about. Because you can understand testament mean when I die, here's how I want my properties distributed. This is my last will and testament. You had nothing to do with it. Unless you're one of them people that connive your way in and say, hey, can I get in a wheel, Papa? I know that's not none of y'all. Families fight over wheels. Can I say this? If you got it all, if you got nothing, it had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with that person's wishes. Take that how you want it. If it's offensive, sorry. Covenant's completely different. You know what you're getting into. God laid out all the parameters. Here's what's going to happen. Next week when we start talking about actually walking through, we're going to begin to speak blessings over one another and we're going to speak curses over one another in that blood. Y'all see it in Deuteronomy. As we walk through that blood and we hear these things and part of that covenant blessing was Hey, Neil, we're cutting covenant. Neil, may you be blessed in the city. May you be blessed going in. May you be blessed going out. May your children's children be blessed. What's that song? The blessing? To a thousand generations, right? Blessings. And then comes the death walk. Neil, if you don't keep this covenant, may you be cursed in the city. It was serious. All right? Old covenant, new covenant. Remember, these two men are cutting covenant. God said, there's no way possible, Abram, that you could keep this covenant. So I'm going to have to do it by myself. But in myself, I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to have somebody else in there with me who's going to become the perfect covenant keeper because he can. And his name is Yahshua. Covenant. Stay with me.
I feel like the people on the Titanic, the watchmen, <laughs> that's on the tower going, iceberg, iceberg. We only touch the surface today. There is this huge iceberg that we're fixing to come in contact with in this covenant understanding. It's going to peel back, hopefully, years, maybe decades of either misunderstanding or not understanding of this covenant that you have cut with the most high God, the one and only true God. I'm going to give you this tidbit. We're going to close here. I gave you a little peeks into some of these things. In the exchanging of names, I told you that God gave Abraham his name, put an H in it. From that point on, God was referred to as the God of Abraham. Abraham was referred to as the friend of God. From a covenant understanding, the Hebrew understanding, God and Abraham had cut covenant and they were together the same name, if you will. You're going to hear this again, but I want you to think about it. So I told you that, just using Neil as an example, if we cut covenant, I would take on his name and he would take on my name. I would become Monty Beam Dean. Neil would become Neil Dean Beam. That's hard. Woo! So when Neil would go out in town, they would say, Hi, how are you? What's your name? He would say, Neil Dean Beam. And the Hebrew understanding was, Oh, Neil's family has cut covenant with the Dean family. Part of your name is Christ. You've cut covenant with him. Maybe you're in this place today and you have not cut covenant. You don't know what that's about, but you want to know more about it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If that's what you want to do today, I'm asking you to move out from your seat, come to this front. I want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Sharon, would you come? You and Gary? Come on, both of you. Hallelujah. If that's you, I want you to make your way out. Don't hesitate. Just move. Move right now. Maybe if you're in this place and you say, you know what? I have cut covenant. But man, have I been a little amiss in understanding exactly what that's supposed to look like and how that's supposed to be. If that's you today, I want you to make your way to the front. We want to pray with you. Not to embarrass you or anything like that, but just to say, hey, ooh, we're with you. Because, hey, look, we're the same family. We have cut covenant together. That's why we're called the family of God. It's not that we've been birthed by water into this family. We've been birthed by blood. Covenant blood. Amen? Father, we thank you, God, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that you have set in motion from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelations. You have shown us who you are if we would just look. You have given us your heart. You have given us your life from the beginning. Father, we say we repent of not understanding the seriousness of covenant. Lord, we make that declaration today that we will begin to live as covenant partners of you.
thank you for that now. Father, as this week unfolds, we pray that we would wake up every morning understanding that we are covenant partners with the Lord God Almighty. Who could be for me or against me if you're for me? <laughs> I have a covenant with you. That's what David exclaimed. Who are you, Goliath? I pray that we would look up and we would speak to our problems in such a way. Who are you? You out of covenant, whatever you are. I have a covenant with the Most High. And we would live in such a way. We thank you for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.